And think about this week, right? School starting back, fresh starts happening at Tim Hortons Thursday morning. Our first end zone is this Friday night, so help out the team, be a part of that end zone. And then we've got, what, on Saturday, Putnam Jam Fest up at Putnam Park. I mean, God is using this church to do incredible ministry. Now, come October, we're going to be uh, having a work day on a Saturday. We're going to be building a house with Habitat for Humanity. You might have saw some construction materials out there in the parking lot. That's because we want you to sign a board on your way out, put down your favorite scripture, write a prayer on those boards, because those exact boards are going to go to build that house. And we want to we, we pray God's blessings all over the family that's going to receive that home. We're going to give you a word in the coming weeks on what Saturday that's going to be, that RP is going to show up. But God is on the move, friends. So check out the parking lot on the way out, all right? Sound good? Now, many of you might understand what a storm of life is. You understand what physical storms are. And right now we're currently praying for those that are on the West Coast that are about to, uh, is it Hurricane Hillary, I think? that I heard. We need to be praying for them. And we know what the storms of life are like. We all go through storms. And if you're not going through one right now, you say, Pastor John, I don't know. Life's pretty good. I said, well, you know, life is always good no matter whether there's a storm or not. But that doesn't mean there's not a storm coming, right? And there's always a storm coming around the corner. Now, last week we started out and we talked about the second most stormy day in the life of Jesus, our Savior Jesus. Now, of course, the most stormy day of the life of Jesus would be his suffering, uh, his crucifixion, and his death. Uh, on that fateful Friday. But this is the second most stormy day in the life of Jesus. Now that day started with a text message from the disciples that said, oh, by the way, your cousin John the Baptist has been beheaded. Your good and close friend, the, the one that declared that Jesus had come, the Lamb of God that comes to take away the sins of the world, the one that baptized Jesus, he has been executed. And he awakens to this heartbreaking, heartaching, disappointing news that morning, and the day just goes from there. Now, we know that when Jesus heard that news, he went off, and he went off to try to be alone. I mean, who wouldn't want to try to be alone when you get that kind of news? I mean, don't all of us need a moment to gather our thoughts or just to get quiet and wrap our head around the shock of the loss? Every single one of us could understand Jesus' need to get alone. But he did not have much time before the demands of the day came after Jesus. You ever try to find a pause in your day just so you can gather yourself, only to realize that the demands of the day won't let you? And they just keep coming after you and coming after you. One thing and one issue after the next. Let's pick it up in Matthew chapter 14. The Bible there reads, When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. So, of course, Jesus heard the news of the loss of his cousin, John the Baptist. He goes to be alone like anybody would probably want to do, just reflect, uh, allow the shock of the moment to settle on his heart. But hearing of this, the crowds follow him on foot from the towns. You see, friends, the crowds are always there, no matter what's going on or the challenges in our life. Now, when Jesus landed and saw the large crowd that had met him there, he had compassion on them, the Bible says, and he healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the village and buy themselves some food, friends. And we all know what comes after that. So, friends, here Jesus is trying to take time to mourn. He's trying to get alone, but the crowd won't let him. The crowd and the needs of the day are waiting for him. You see, the crowd says, oh, you're going to take a boat across? Oh, we'll meet you on the other side, Jesus. <laughs> you, you think you're going to escape? You think you're going to get a quiet moment? Uh, we'll beat you to the other side. And the crowds, the Bible says, they were already there waiting for him. The demands of the day, friends, will give no rest to an emotionally weary Jesus. 
as 15,000 plus people are leaning into him in his time of needing to get away and reflect. They're leaning into him for healing and teaching and, 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 and prayer and ministry. And he just needs five minutes after this tragic loss. Oh, by the way, realizing that he himself is probably next. Not to mention having to figure out how to feed all 15,000 of these people. Friends, the demands of the day for Jesus just come one right after the other. He can't catch a breath. So friends, if you're stressed, if you're trying to keep your head above water right now, if you have an overwhelming to-do list that you aren't sure how you're going to be able to accomplish all of it, and, and, you, and you feel just overwhelmed, you're, you're not alone. You're not alone. Some of you might be feeling like, hey, if one more thing happens, I'm telling you, if one, poor, if one more person needs something, so help me, I might just lose it. Can I get a show of hands from somebody who's ever felt that way? Some of you are like, I'm feeling like that right now, Pastor John. <laughs> Praise be to God. So help me, if one more person in my family needs me, I, I'm just, I, that's it. I can't do it. Right? Friends, the God of the universe, Jesus Christ, understands. Do you understand that? Jesus understands what it's like to have a to-do list a mile long. He understands what it's like to have demand after demand. The crowd follows him everywhere, and they never slow down. And friends, your pastor, I understand a little bit too. As I was preparing this message back in June, Isabel was in the hospital, and Aaron was with her already for a couple of weeks. In the hospital, battling uh, infections with her shunt, shunt removal, shunt replacement, then an infection, removal of that, and then waiting for the new shunt to come. They were there for weeks with no idea when she was going to be released. At the same time, my mom's health continued to deteriorate rapidly with no understanding or answer for what was going on. I was trying to keep the house functional, watering the plants, tending the garden, waiting for it to dry off so I could mow at just the right time, doing the laundry, getting mail. Whenever bills would come, I'd have to snap pictures of them with the phone and text them off to my financial advisor, <laughs> who is my wife, who, who Aaron, I said, Aaron, honey, I said, I don't even know what this is. I'm texting it to you. I'm sending it to you because she manages all the household finances. We were also in a time when Isabel was in the hospital navigating changes in our insurance provider from the UMC to the GMC. I was feeding the cat, emptying the litter box. I had to get Elizabeth off on a mission trip trying to figure out also at the same time how I could visit down there to see Isabel in the hospital, all the while caring for the responsibilities of a large, burgeoning, wonderful, incredible church family here at Rolling Plains. And I want to tell you, I, I mean, I, I'm, I mean I, I'm, I'm going to stroke my hair a little bit here because I was, I was doing well. I mean, honest to God, I was doing really, really well, one thing after the other. And I was just all these big things, right, surgeries, my mom's health, trying to figure this stuff out, care for the household, and I was doing really, really well until one day I realized that we had eight different aquariums of fish in our house that needed to be cared for that I had neglected for the last two weeks. In that moment, I lost it. I was like, that's it. I can't, I mean, I, you know, I was good. I, I was good up until that point. But in that moment, I remember coming to church that day. It was a Monday morning, and I was just overwhelmed. I just, Aaron was on the phone, and she was crying, and I was crying, and I just said, I, I remember saying this to her. I said, honey, it's just so much. It's just so much. I didn't say it's too much, because with Jesus, it's never too much, but it's just so much. You ever feel that way? You ever feel like life, it's just so much, one thing after the next. Now, I'm here to tell you the Alice family here is blessed 
Don't feel sorry for us. We have challenges. You have challenges. Everybody has challenges. I want to just say to you, as your pastor, I understand. Jesus today, as your God, wants to say to you, I understand. I understand. You see, friends, the stress of demands is real. The stress of the demands is real. How about for you? You know, like Jesus, you just need a moment of quiet, right? And you know, like, you know, this is what God, if guys need a moment of quiet, they go to the garage. If a lady needs a moment of quiet, she goes to the bathroom in the house. Now, I, now here's what happens. You see, you think you're going for a moment of quiet, but somehow the kids know where you are. And the kids find you in the bathroom. They find you in the garage. And you're like, Jesus, you're like, I'm just trying to get away. I'm just trying to get away from the demands of the day. And the list of the demands just keep growing and growing. The stress of demands is real. Things are blowing up at work. You get a call that you dread. Your electric bill jumps 20% and the cat is sick. It all happens in the same day. You run out of bacon, you gotta go to the grocery store. Friends, the demands of the day, they just pile up. And on top of that, the cell phone is ringing, text messages are binging. You get private, uh, uh, private messages and phone calls and it just piles up. The needs, the demands of the crowd is always there. And we all have a different crowd, but Jesus understands. He's staring at the needs of 15,000 plus hungry people while grieving the loss of John the Baptist, his loved one, family member, and friend, knowing that Jesus himself is on the most wanted picture in every town and burg around him. Now, they only have five dinner rolls and two small fish sticks to be able to feed 15,000 people. And after dealing with all of that stress, then the disciples end up in a storm that day and question Jesus' ability to, to calm that storm. They lose faith. And then Peter steps out and walks on water and he starts to drown. It's just all so much. The stress and the demands, friends, but through it all, what's amazing about Jesus, what's amazing about our Savior is he never loses his center of purpose. Through all of this, Jesus never loses his center of purpose. So here's Mark chapter 6 verse 34. Here's his account of this moment when Jesus lands on the other side of the shore and the crowd's there to meet him. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, He's grieving the loss of his loved one, right? Trying to just get away with God. The Bible says what? He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. I'm like, I mean, if I was Jesus, I, I'd have nothing for him. I mean, I, I would have nothing left, but here's God in Jesus Christ. In the chaos of the storm, all these things swirling around Jesus, he remains grounded in his life purpose to bring salvation, redemption, grace and healing and restoration to his creation you see friends with the potential to lose one's mind jesus never loses sight let me let me say that again with the potential to lose his mind and we've all been there before jesus never loses sight he never loses sight of the bigger picture with his day seemingly going south and anybody would admit for jesus that his day was going south he was concerned about other people's day rather than his own. Rather than turn inward and start feeling sorry for himself, or I just can't take it anymore, he looked outward to the needs of the crowd. Friends, he has the audacity in the midst of this stormy day to have compassion and to be burdened for other people's burdens when he himself has a whole heaping pile that he could claim on his own. And that's why in Matthew 14, 14, it says this really important thing. Jesus sees the needs of the crowd. Did you notice that? In 1414 in Matthew, when Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd. And when he saw them, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. You see, friends, in the midst of all of Jesus' problems and struggles and trials and exhaustion, he still sees the need of the crowd. 
and he operates with mercy, mercifully teaching, mercifully healing, mercifully feeding 15,000 plus people, offering miracles and signs and wonders, and he meets the stressful demands of the day. Friends, we have a lot to learn from how Jesus handled his day because it can be so easy to get tunnel vision. I know I'm talking to some of the right people here. It can be so easy to get tunnel vision and become overwhelmed in our own stresses, to become overwhelmed in our own problems, and we can lose perspective and not, no longer be able to see the needs of any, anybody else around us because ours are piling up on us so greatly. You see, friends, that's why visits to Cincinnati Children's are such a wonderful and awesome perspective giver to the Alice household. We've been there so many times over the years because of Isabel's challenges, and even now with some of Elizabeth's health, health issues, we've been there. And every time we go, God gives us a dose of perspective. On this particular occasion, I was going down to visit Isabel. Of course, Aaron was there too, going to see them and spend some time with them while Elizabeth was off on the mission trip with the church. And I remember just thinking about how easy it was for me to try to go into a woe is our family kind of attitude. But then I knew that God was about to do something special because Asher Johnson had just, got, uh, had just been um, uh, moved from uh, um, Columbus. Uh, what's Columbus's name? Nationwide. From Nationwide in Columbus, he had just been moved for a second opinion or, or, or experience, and he's now in Cincinnati Children's Hospital, a building next to where Isabel is. Now, for those of you that don't know, that's uh, Lindsay and Brett Johnson's newborn baby who had never hadn't had a chance to be home since born, um, born with um, all kinds of challenges and struggles, heart issues, lung issues, um, and the poor guy was trying to figure out how to have them breathe. And, and I thought, my goodness gracious, Lord, what, what a God-anointed appointment. So I, I got to get over there, and I've got to go see Asher. I, I mean, I could have been so stuck on the need to see my own daughter. Once I saw her, gave her a hug, knew she was okay, I said, honey, I got I to gotta go see how Lindsay and Brett are doing, and I got to go meet Asher. And I'm here to tell you, when I went up into the NICU there, and I, I hung out with Brett and Lindsay, and Asher was there, I met him for the very first time, battling Down syndrome and a bunch of other stuff going on in his life. I met a gift from God. And the gift started with Asher, but the gift bled into conversation. And, and them encouraging us about Isabel and me encouraging them about Asher and me looking at them and saying, what a beautiful, incredible young man that you have. And, and Lindsay and Brett, they were all smiling. I knew they were exhausted. I mean, they'd been in the hospital for like three, three and a half months. I mean, and, I, and I'm concerned about us being there for a month. What's wrong with me? I mean, goodness gracious. You want to talk about a dose of perspective. And they filled my cup, and I filled their cup. And you want to know what all the conversation was about? It was about Jesus and how good God is and how much we need him. And that in these moments that God can give us an incredible perspective. And so in a day where I could have been focused on all of my problems and struggles, one of the greatest gifts that God gave me was to be able to see the needs of another family. And it was the same thing for Brett and Lindsay. It was almost a reprieve from their pain to be able to talk about what was going on with Isabel and us to talk about what was going on with Asher. It gave us an incredible perspective and opened our eyes beyond our own needs. And the question here is, when we're so desperately in need of perspective, how God opened my eyes in this moment is how did Jesus do it? How did Jesus remain compassionate and merciful and loving? And hey, yeah, I'm happy to help you, even though he's trying to get a moment on his own to mourn the loss of his loved one. And the crowd comes with their demands after demands and the issues with the disciples all day long. How does Jesus do it? Well, friends, Jesus has a very simple formula that translates to us. Jesus remained in the Father. 
Jesus remained in the Father. Jesus abides in the Father. He remains eternally connected to him. He was never detached. He was never distant. He sought and got alone with him on a regular basis. And in the weariness of Jesus' day, he leans into the Father for courage, for strengthening, for a reminder of his purpose. He trusted the Father was going to be there to fill his depleted cup, to carry on his incredible purposes. So friends, no matter how stressful the demands got, Jesus never lost his true north. He always remained centered on his purpose because he remained connected to the Father. Do you get that? He remained connected to the Father, and we need to do the same thing. How about you? Here's Jesus' invitation in John chapter 15. Jesus says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. That's a positive thing, right? If you remain in me, if you remain connected to me, if you you abide in me, if you live in me, if you look to me for everything in your life, then positive things are going to come from that positive things. You will bear much fruit. But he says, but apart from me, you can do nothing. There's a negative consequence to being apart from God. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. That's bad, friends. That's bad, right? Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. That's really bad. So there are, there are negative consequences that happen when we separate ourselves from our relationship with God. So friends, when the fiery trials come, when you feel all kinds of dried up in your life, when you feel like you're about to wither away, you got nothing left, what is going to be your source and strength? What is going to be your source of life? Friends, the, storm, the storminess of the stressful demands are coming every single day, and it's so important to be connected every single minute of our life to the source of life. And the source of life is a five-letter name, and it starts with a J and ends with an S. Who is our source of life? Jesus. We've got to remain connected to the vine. We've got to remain connected to the source of life. And if you get cut off, if you get distant, you're going to wind up losing your center in Christ. You're going to wind up living apart from your true north. You're going to get, you know, get out of his word, get out of his teachings, and what happens is you wind up withering away in the stressful demands of this life. You get scorched by the chaos, right? You get taken out by the storm, But the amazing thing of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is there's always a but God. But God. But if you seek him, if you get grounded in his word, if you're filled up with his promises to the brim in your life, if you maintain a lifeline of prayer, but but if you center your life on his purposes, he will breathe life into you. He will strengthen you when it feels like your energy is about to run out. He will strengthen you when you feel like you have nothing left. And he will bear fruit through you to other people as you abide in him and remain in him. Friends, when the fiery demands of the day are too much to bear, when you feel like you're about to lose your mind or come unglued if one more person needs something or one more thing happens, then God's invitation is simple. Bring your burdens to Jesus. Bring your burdens to Jesus. In Matthew, Jesus gives this invitation. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. Bring me your burdens, and I will give you rest. That's a positive outcome. If you bring your burdens to Jesus, Jesus will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and uh, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. It's a positive outcome of abiding in and coming to God in Jesus Christ. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Did you see this transference that happens? Jesus said, if you would bring me your burdens, I will replace them with what burdens me. 
Now, I love this. I love this. Because Jesus acknowledges that we all have burdens. Come to me if you're seeking comfort. Come to me if you need a strengthening. Bring me your burdens. God's shoulders are big enough for anything, friends. Anything. Bring those burdens to me. And he says, well, here's what I'm going to do, is I'm going to help you still see the crowd. You're going to give me your burdens, and I'm going to give you uh, what burdens me. And we already, we already know what burdens God and Jesus Christ. It's the needs of the crowd. It's the needs of the challenges and struggles in people's lives around us. You see, when you abide in and yoke yourself to Jesus Christ, when we put the stressful demands and the burdens of the day on his shoulders, when we let his presence carry us, when we let him do the heavy lifting through the power of prayer, right, with other people praying for us in the stormy stresses of this life, his peace will wash over us and he'll give us a brand new positive burden. And so you remain focused on what burdens God as you give him your burdens. Loving on, caring for, meeting the needs of his creation. Seeing people and the demands that, of the day as Jesus sees them with merciful, compassionate eyes, to be filled with the mercy and compassion of Jesus himself for other people and meet the demands of the day that come from them. Friends, you're abiding in the Father who strengthens you with energy to remain centered on his purposes. So, friends, how that translates in a, in a realistic way is, so, so when your family is demanding dinner while, the, while you're in the middle of doing laundry and the phone is blowing up, God is going to multiply your strength. Give me strength, Lord. God is going to multiply your strength like loaves and fishes. And when things at work are weighty, the car's blowing up, your calendar is full and you don't know how you're going to meet all the demands, God will help you see the person in, in, in need of assistance or is downcast themselves right there in front of you. God will give you the energy to administer his loving mercy and meet needs because you are abiding in him, you're abiding in his power, and you are no longer yoked to just your own self focused burdens you've given those to God you're now yoked to his burden for all of his creation so friends if we're going to do this here's a real practical step we must schedule time to be still and know that he is God we have to slow down and schedule time to be still and know that he is God you cannot go 24 hours a day seven days a week it is not biblical not even God himself went 24 hours and seven days a week. We have to make rest and recovery a priority. We have to force ourselves to slow down, to get alone, to get quiet with the Father like Jesus did, and allow him to replenish our souls and alleviate our burdens, and then burden our heart with the things that burden his heart. And so what that means is we have to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy according to God's commands. Rest is so important. And getting to church and, and having a meal and enjoying your family or your friends together, taking a nap, reading a book, friends, it is so important to the lifeblood of God's purpose in you. Rest is a command of God because God knows the demands of this world. Did you know that? Rest is a command of God. Why? Because God knows something about this world. He knows the demands of this world, and therefore, he commands us to rest. And if, if, you're, if you're not taking on the burdens of the Lord and, and resting and abiding in the Lord, it is a recipe for mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical disaster. That's what God's word says in Hebrews. Consider what happens when we do something, and there are negative and positive consequences. Listen to what these consequences are. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works just as God did from his. You're like, man, I'm walking in here today. I've got to learn how to deal with all these stressful demands. Oh, this is how Jesus did it? Okay, I'm going to try that. You ever thought about trying it how Jesus did? 
If you do that, the Bible here says that you will find God's rest, not just any old rest. When you enter God's rest, you'll also rest from your works just as God did from his. That's a positive outcome. Now here's a negative outcome. So let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, because if we don't, you will perish. That's a negative outcome, right? Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, because if we don't, you will perish. That's what that basically says. Make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish. Well, if you don't enter that rest, what's the opposite of that? You're going to perish. And friends, some of you are smoldering. Some of you are smoldering, and you can see it in your spouse's eyes, you can see it in your family's eyes, and you can just feel it right now. And God says, would you just listen to me? Do what I did. What was Jesus doing? What was Jesus doing when he heard the news about John the Baptist? He was going to get alone with the Father. And you think, but the demands of the day came. They said, that's fine. He had to deal with those. But eventually, what would Jesus do? He would go back to getting alone with the Father. It was always a habit and priority. Friends, we have a rhythm of every seven days of having a Sabbath rest. It's because God knows that we are wired to need it in our life. And if God and Jesus Christ himself rested, what makes us think that we don't need to rest ourselves, friends? We don't rest just to serve ourselves. We rest to be better with people. Because some of you are trying to face your family crisis unrested, and it's not fun to be around you. Think about it, right? What makes us think we can do it when God needed it? So come to him with all of the stormy, stressful demands of life and remain in him, remain connected, abiding in the vine, the true source of life in Jesus Christ. He knows the stressful demands of the day. Jesus lived them, friends. And when you do, you'll find rest for your soul. God will give you brand new strength and mercy to be able to meet the demands of an ever-needed crowd. The crowd is always there. It's always in need. It will always be there, friends. But somehow Jesus found a peaceful center and remained focused on his true north, the purpose in, in, his, in his existence here on earth, even in the midst of all of that. So here's some action steps, and we'll land the plane. We'll be done. Number one, friends, uh, real simple. Take a true Sabbath day to get centered. So I try to hold on to Fridays as a Sabbath day. I try to protect that day for, for, to be with God and, and my family and, and to find rest that day. What about for you? Number two, when things start to pile up, lean into Jesus and get a fresh perspective. Things in our life will overwhelm us. And especially when we start to, it starts to become a cycle. We, oh, I got this going on, and this builds, and this compounds, and this goes on, and woe is me, I can't take another thing, I'm about done with all this. And it just becomes, it begins to be a cycle. Break that cycle. Take it to Jesus when things pile up, and ask him to give you a fresh perspective. And then look for opportunities, like I shared with you. If you're in the hospital, look to bless somebody else in the, bed ne- in the room next to you. If, if you're struggling with bad news, find somebody else that got some bad news and pray for them. It's amazing what God does. Gives you perspective. Third and finally, seek his strength to meet the demands. I'm here to tell you, friends, we cannot face the stressful demands of the day on our own. I've tried it. It don't work. And sometimes in the church you feel that with well, Pastor John. He didn't get prayed up today. All right. Sometimes my family feels it. My husband John, he didn't get prayed up today. We, we, we have got to go to God for strength and power to be able to meet the stressful demands of the day. Otherwise, it will make a mess of our life, and we'll make a mess of everybody else's life around us. Amen? Am I talking to some of the right folk here today? We need Jesus, friends, and he is the source of all life and strength. And, 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 and if you're having a difficult day, 
then you ought to be scratching your forehead, your, your, forehead or your chin like this and saying, hmm, maybe I ought to do what Jesus did. Let's just check and see what he did. And you look into this day of demands and you see what Jesus did. He remained centered with the Father and his purposes and God saw him through it. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your incredible word to us. Thank you for this incredible day of celebrating yet another school year. Lord God, thank you for Habitat for Humanity and Putnam Jam Fest and ministering to teens and young people and disciple Bible studies, you know, the, the book of Galatians. Lord, we're super excited about that. God, thank you for your word today. Lord God, let your word fall afresh on us. Lord, some of us here today, we're raising a hand in our heart and we're saying, God, I need you. I'm drowning right now. I, I can't figure stuff out in my life right now. I feel so purposeless or, or direct, directionless or I just can't take one more thing, God. Well, God, feed us now, here and now, with that, how to deal with that one more thing. Lord God, thank you for showing us that you understand the demands, the stressful demands of the day, because you live them. And Lord God, would you, would you allow us to learn from them and do what you did? Lord God, some of us are struggling in our relationship with you, and we're distant. Lord God, call us back. Irritate our soul. Give us a nudge. Move in our attitudes and call us back to you, to getting in your word, to praying, to making church a regular routine in our life, getting involved in a Bible study, and realizing that all those disciplines allow us to remain in you. Lord God, would you, would you convict each and every one of us with the next step beyond today to allow you to take our burdens and for us to take your burden on. We pray this in your name, the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And everybody said together, Amen, friends. Amen. I think right about now we're ready to